Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Come on, you scoundrels, praise him! Yeah, he's good. And also, thank you, Grant, for a wonderful message around our offering this morning. And thank you, Johan, for leading so beautifully with our team. Man, are you happy to be ha found in the house of God this morning? Are you happy to be here? I, uh, uh, if you were here last week, you'd know that I'm quite disturbed in this season. And uh, the disturbance continues today. Uh, as a great Jedi once said, there's a disturbance in the force. And I believe right now there's a disturbance in me. There's a disturbance in the spirit of God right now. There's a disturbance in the spiritual realm right now. Where literally, I believe the spirit of God is saying for the last 20 years... 20 years, friends, we have dressed up the bride of Christ as some 20-year-old, and she is 2,000 years old. She is esteemed. She is highly favored. She is the darling of the eye of Jesus, and he is coming back for not an impotent, weak, or stagnant bride, but he's coming back for a luscious, beautiful, bold, and burning bride laced in linen and white. Amen? That's what he's coming back for, and I got to tell you, this bride that Jesus imagines for himself, it is one that he encounters daily. I wonder this morning, before we get into the message, it's just beating on my heart. Do you encounter God daily? Do you, not you as a body, you as an individual, do you encounter God daily? Because he didn't just die and pay for Sundays. He bought you. And all that comes with you. For a daily encounter and embrace with him. You know, I think some of us, we come into church and... We're looking around to the left and to the right. We're wondering, what are these people experiencing? What am I missing out on? What is happening? What, what kind of Kool-Aid have they been drinking? What have they been smoking? What are they on? Oh, someone's weeping. What kind of sin is rampant in their life? What is happening? And we sit in this place, a position of judgment. Could it be that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be fed? And could it be that potentially if you're on the outside looking in, maybe you don't hunger and thirst after the same things as these people? And could it be if you are not hungering and thirsting after righteousness as Jesus said? He says those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, those, they will be fed. Do you know who doesn't get fed, friends? Those who are full of other things. Those who have drank from lesser wines. Those who have sat at lesser tables, could it be potentially, if you're not coming in here and experiencing Jesus for whom he actually is, could it be that you've been full on a good number of other things throughout the week? And you didn't come to church to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Instead, you came to church for many other reasons. 
But Jesus says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be fed. Can I just proclaim to you this morning, the hungry will be fed. The thirsty will be given drink. And then I want to encourage you this morning, if you're feeling like you're on the outside, maybe there are some things in your life that you need to fast so you can get a hunger for the things that last. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? You should know well enough by now that we just go in here. I do not softball. <laughs> we don't play wiffle ball. This is cricket, and we will go for days if we have to, baby. Amen? Until the job is done, until the game is won, until Jesus comes back, hallelujah, praise God. Amen? Amen. Come on, praise him, yeah. Let's get a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Let's not get a hunger and thirst for another great sermon. Let's not get a hunger and thirst for another great worship set. Let's not get a hunger and thirst for another Jesus pick me up. But let's get a hunger and thirst for the same things that God says he himself hungers and thirsts for. Amen? Come on. Well, this morning we are continuing the stewardship of our prophetic word for the year of 2023 of fire upon the earth. You see Jesus in Luke 12, 49 through 50, he told us his exact plan, even though we live in a land right now where everyone has all these differing opinions about Jesus, when he was quite clear, friends, of what his mission was. He says that I have come to set fire upon the earth, a baptism that I would give if it were already kindled. AKA, if it were ready to be burned, I would burn it. Friends, could it be today that God is looking for a people, you and me, who are saying, we're ready. We're ready. And if we're not yet ready to be burned, Lord, then make us a yielded, kindled people ready for the flame of God. I want to answer that call for my life. I want to answer that call for your life. I want to answer that call for this region. And I want to see God do something great through a burning people, body, and bride. Amen? So we're stewarding this entire, this entire prophetic word the entire year. We are not moving. We are not changing the conversation. We will be burning come 2024. So help us God. Amen? So the title of my sermon this morning, if you're taking notes for a week, I believe it's 38. Fantastic. Come on. Almost the 40s. This is going to be great. Are you ready? It is the house and gate of fire. The house and gate of fire. The house and gate of fire. In that specific order. Well, Pastor Matt, isn't there usually a gate before there's a house? Usually, but not with God, apparently, and I'll explain. The house and gate of fire. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open the Genesis for me. Yeah, I'm busting out my leather back. Genesis, I believe it's 28. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. No worries, it'll be up on the Sky Bible. And can you guys just make some noise for Kelsey and Kenny holding it down in the booth? 
I do want to say this too. I know young Michael will mention it later, but friends, we have a, two great needs. One, we have a longing in our community to start a nursery here. So if you're a mother or uh, a father or just someone who loves babies and you would be, love to serve your local community, yeah, come on. If you would love to serve your church by hanging out with some babies once a month and letting mom and dad come worship freely, we would love to get a nursery going. Second of all, kids ministry, y'all. Okay, we don't babysit here. There is no junior Holy Spirit. We are training up the next generation of giant slayers. I'm talking David in the fields. We got them out there killing bears and lions, getting ready. I'm going to let you wonder if that's true or not. But needless to say, those are two great areas of need. I know young Michael will hit it later, but I just want to make sure that you hear that from the top on down. These are two great needs that we have in our community. And we, quite frankly, we need people to serve. And people need to serve. Something breaks off of you when you give of yourself. Come on. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. If you're there, say I'm there. Fantastic. Jacob left Beersheba and he went toward Haran and he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place. He put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And you see, he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heavens, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you, to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall be all the families of the earth and they shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is it? How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Lulz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and he will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. We're going to pray. And we're going to see what the Lord will do with that. Amen. Let's pray. Come on. Father, we love you. Father, right now, we ask, God, that you would do the imaginable, that you would do the inexhaustible, that you would do the things, God, that we've been longing to see in this room, God, that you would come and you would move in such a divine way, God. And when you come and when you blow and when you move in this place, you would find a people yielded and kindled, ready, God ready God so drained of all other lovers all other affections all other attentions all other attachments but with one desperate longing for you Jesus and you would come Holy Spirit and you would blow upon us 
just like Adam in the garden. You would blow into us, just like Elijah and the young boy. You would blow into us, just like the early church at Pentecost. You would come and you would blow upon us, God, and you would set us ablaze for the glory of God. Father, this morning I ask, I ask that you would do what only you can, and that is take, take the least of these, the low ones, and exalt us, exalt us, exalt us. And as those words offend the religious Lord, I ask that we would get our eyes off our understanding of being exalted and we would see the truth that as you exalt us, Lord, it means you are just drawing us close. You are taking us up. You are bringing us into a place of glory. Let our faces shine like Moses today as we leave. As we come down from Mount Sinai, as we leave, take over church, let Grand Rapids see our face ablaze because we have looked in your eyes, God. Set us ablaze, exalt us, God, bring us into your glory. And Father, you will find servants not interested in housing glory for ourselves or keeping it but pointing and passing and pushing people to exalt and give glory to none other than Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, no one came here to hear me. We all came here to hear you. Speak through me, God. In Jesus' mighty name, a faithful church said. I've said a faithful church said. Amen. Amen. Come on. The house and gate of fire, the house and gate of fire, the house and gate of fire. I'm disturbed, like I said, and I'm grieved in a way in this hour that I've not really been grieved before. Now, I'm, uh, I'm insane, and most of you probably already know that, and you know Matt cares about two things in this life, and that is Jesus and his wife, right? Like, you get that by now, okay? You get that. But I'm grieved in this hour because there's something as I'm looking, not just at our community, and I don't mean this as a, as a chastisement as much as I mean as a level up for us today, but as I look at our community and as I look at the, the church at large, when I look at the bride I'm responsible for, when I look at the bride I am responsible for and I look at the bride at large, I see some things that are wrong. I see some things that we've done for 20 years. I see some things that are in desperate need of a holy divine intervention if the bride is going to be all that Jesus sits upon his throne in dreams she could be. Do you know that Jesus has a vision for his bride? Do you know that God the Father has a vision for the bride that he will betroth to his son? That he has tasked himself via the Holy Spirit to live amongst us, to form and shape us back into an image and likeness like that of the bridegroom Jesus that the Son of God would be pleased with on his wedding day. So friends, you didn't come to a church today where we're just going to check in and we're going to do something religious. You didn't come to a church today where I'm concerned about keeping the lights on. 
You didn't come to a church today where I hope you come back next week. I hope you do. But I hope less of you comes back next week. And when you walk through these doors, more of him comes with you. This is what we give our lives for. If he doesn't come, if he doesn't show up, if he doesn't do something in this space and in this place and in you and me today, then what separates us from every other club? What separates us from every other religion? What separates you and I? What sets us apart the way the blood of Jesus was poured out to? I'm not interested in that. If he is not who he says he is and if he doesn't do what he says he will do, then here's the keys, Bradley Company, take it back. Because I'm only interested in the one thing, the real thing, Lord Jesus, amen? And it's interesting, you see, the, I was informed a number of weeks ago, and this isn't to badmouth anybody, so just posture your hearts to hear me correctly this morning. I feel the Lord really just pushing me into a season of being like, dude, I made you to be an apostle, like buck up champ. Like, just buck up and take responsibility for what I've given you. You got it. You got it. You got it. It's my head before him and you at the end of my life that I'm responsible for this. You got it, Lord. And I was informed a number of weeks ago that there was a, some people in our church that were looking for a different church and do your thing, chicken wing, whatever. They're looking for a different church. You're like, Pastor Matt, that sounds callous. I don't have time to chase around goats, Okay. We are feeding, cleaning, and giving a good offering with sheep. I don't have time for insubordinates. I just don't. God bless you. I love you. He'll keep you as you go. But as for us in this house, we're about our Father's business. Amen? Just don't have time to chase goats. And so they told some people, like, yeah, we're going to look for a different church, and that's all good and well. And they said a phrase, we're going to look for a church that aligns with what we think a church should be. Good for you. Because Takeover Church isn't for everyone. In fact, Takeover Church isn't really for anyone. Takeover Church is for the one. And so it is not a home for you and me before it's a home for him. This is not a presence, people, that is Matt's presence or your presence or whoever's presence. It's his presence. We don't exist to see Matt take over people's lives. You take over people's lives. We exist to see take over people's lives so that's okay but you know what it know what it said to me that there's a great symptom in the church today that is sick and it needs to die this idea that we can church shop and we can find a place that fits us i'm not interested in being a house that fits anybody but him i want to conform to his image and likeness i don't want a church that conforms to mine Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Like, do your thing, chicken wing. But for us and this house, we pursue the one. I love you. I bless you. Go. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you. I love you. But for this house, this is what we are interested in. I don't want a church 20 years old dressed like some 20-year-old college student. I want a church that is 2,000 years old, knows the fire that she possesses, the price that was paid to take her, and where we are going, only God can bring us. Amen? So I'm not even mad. 
As far as I'm concerned, God bless you. That's great. You wonder why? Because there's times for shedding. There's time for passing the chaff from the wheat. And God bless you. But here at this place, we pursue one. We don't sing about you and we don't sing about me. We sing about him. These aren't our names. These aren't our words. We're not singing, is anyone worthy in this room? We're singing about the one who is entering the room as we lift up our praises and he rides in. Amen. We are not singing about give me Micah. I don't care. My best intern. No offense, Landon, you're new. But that's not my prayer. That's not my worship. I'm not singing about keeping butts in seats. I'm singing about bringing the king in a great procession into the room. This is what we do here. But it is a symptom in the church today that we have got to suss out in our local community because I am telling you, what God is coming back for is not a bride based off personal preference, but based off prophetic mandates. This is not about personal preference. This is about prophetic mandates. You see, God is not a visionless God. Just because you've met some visionless Christians in your life doesn't mean that we serve a visionless God. In fact, David said what? My people lack vision, they will perish. God doesn't perish. But when you meet visionless Christians, look what their lives look like. Zero faith, zero courage, zero conviction, zero plans, going nowhere at zero speed. Not that God is all about the holy hustle. What he is in fact about is that he birthed you for a purpose, for an intended season, for an hour for you to be on the earth. You've got one hour that you are here for in God's eyes. And he says, I made you to do one thing. I love you enough to give you an assignment. And the assignment isn't that we come into a place, any church. Let me talk for all the other pastors in the city. We have different beliefs, we have different doctrines. I pray at the end of this though, we would be a united bride in this city. I pray we would be a united bride in this city. But this can't be built on personal and quite frankly, pathetic preferences. This is about prophetic mandates. You and I, we are here, not just to thrive, not to just be boss, not just to have great Instagrams and have a lot of money and the great house and the great kids and all the things. We are here to save souls, friends. Well, brother, Jesus does the saving. Who does the catching? Last I checked, Jesus says, put your net over here. I hope to offend the religious spirit in the room because I feel it. And there's only one spirit allowed in this room as long as I got breath in my lungs. So help me God, it is the Holy Spirit. Personal preference has to die in the church. I believe there is a prophetic mandate right now on this generation, the generation that is walking the earth. I don't care if you're five or you're 50 or somewhere above or somewhere in between. I don't care how old you are right now. The spirit, he is divorcing the performer in you and he is beckoning us back to being a reformer again. 
He is killing performance. He is breaking it off his bride. And he is saying, get back to reformation. Get back to what I said in my word, what I've done in the earth, I will surely do again. This is the time. He's not interested in Christian performers. He's interested in holy reformers. Reform us today, God. Reform us today, God. Reform us today, God. Lord, I love you. Take me by the hand as we explore this today, God. Set us ablaze for the kingdom of heaven, God. The hour's too late, friends. The hour is too late, and I've got to tell you, I have got to tell you before we move anywhere further today. God hates sin. Pastor Matt, I thought we were going to talk about the church of fire and gates of fire and these things. We will. We will. But if we don't get some things in order, glory doesn't follow. Glory literally avoids disorder. God will not come that he has not ordered. God will not show up where he is not invited. God will not come to a place that is not attracting him. He's not interested in breaking in on people who don't want him. Amen? So I gotta say this. God hates sin. God hates sin so much, hear me. God hates sin so much that he would rather kill his son than let sin live in you. We need to sit with that. We need to sit with that. Because at the end of the service today, there's been a lot of repentance. God is writing a story. I am telling you, for those of us that are thick in the head like myself, he is trying to break in on us today. Today is a day of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Most of us repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom come about in our lives. Today is the day where we don't just repent to the place of being forgiven, but we repent to the place of receiving the kingdom in its entirety. I got one snap, it's okay. The rest of us will catch up later. I am telling you, God would rather kill his son on a cross than allow sin to live in you and in me. This is the highest priority. This is of the utmost importance because we have a lot of churches today and we will not be one of them where we have got cozy with sin. I'm sorry, I stand before God for you and for me one day. And I love him too much to not tell us the truth and lead us to truth. And praise God that he would rather kill Jesus than allow sin to live in us because that means he can resurrect you and me. So Pastor Matt, what does this, what does this have to do with Jacob? What does this have to do with Genesis? What does this have to do with all of this? It has to do with so much, you see, because right here we're going to look at the house and gate of fire. And what's incredible is in this moment, we see the literal first, I kid you not, the first mention in all of scripture of the house of God is in Genesis 28. 
before there was a tent of meeting with Moses, before there was a tabernacle, before there was a temple, before there was a synagogue, before there was a sanctuary, before there was a beautiful warehouse all dressed up. In Genesis 28, we see the first utterance of the house of God. And this is mind-blowing because this is divine. God has been writing a story of reconciliation, redemption, and restoration in the earth between him and his people since we rejected him in the garden. And this is massive for you and I, you see, because here's Jacob, and I love Jacob. Jacob's an interesting fellow for me because Jacob, Jacob is a twin brother. His brother is Esau. Now, you might be familiar with this story, but they are the sons of one Isaac. And Isaac, if you'll recall, Isaac was the one son that was promised to Abraham. Now, we know about Ishmael, but we're, we'll leave him alone, okay? We ain't casting more lots and stones at Ishmael today. We're, we beat up on Ishmael enough. It's not even his fault. It's Abraham's. But Isaac is the one that God promised to Abraham and Sarah. And he had Isaac and Abraham was going up and God said to him, would you sacrifice your one son if I asked you to? And so upon ascending to the place and to the altar, Abraham decided within himself that yes, he would follow God even to the point of sacrificing his one promised, given to him sovereignly by God. That when their bodies were too old, him and Sarah to even foster and house children, God said, I will do it. You need only be faithful to me. And then much like how God does things, he asked for that promise back. And I think if you and I can just speed through that story real quick to set the framework for today, I think you would see that your answered prayers are still better kept in his hands than in yours. Hear me today, God can do more with your answered prayers than you can. So you keep sacrificing even the promises of God back unto him and watch how he provides a ram in the thicket and he, he makes an entire generation set apart for his glory. This is who our God is. And so we have this moment and if I can give you a little bit of theology real quick, that's just gonna rock your world. This is insane. So, scripture interpretation, massively important. You could look at Abraham, and we see, hear me, God the Father, Abraham. And then from there, we have God the Son, as in Isaac. Isaac is a foretaste and a foreshadowing that God has been planning a story of redemption and reconciliation through the shedding of the one blood of the Son. And then from Isaac, as in the offspring, come two camps, Esau and Jacob. As in from the son of Jesus, from Jesus, his offspring, there comes again two camps. And who are they? Israel and the Gentiles. Let this start messing with your theology because you're going to start to see that God has been writing a story through man this entire time and that nothing is amiss, nothing is awry, everything's been planned and he has been pursuing us in reconciliation with us from the immediate moment in the garden that we fell. So in this moment, you've got God the Father as Abraham, you've got God the Son, right, as Isaac and then you have got his offspring and you have Esau 
the firstborn as in Israel. The birthright was promised. All of this, everything I have will be yours. All you must do is follow me. And then there's Jacob, who's the second. Even though they're twins, even though they were birthed pretty close to the same time, Jacob is called the heel grabber because he literally tried to prevent Esau from getting out first. Jacob's always had issues, just like the church. <laughs> but Holy Spirit's working. And then Esau does what Israel ultimately goes on to do. And what does he do? Esau rejects his birthright. In fact, he forfeits his birthright to his younger brother, Jacob. And we see Israel rejects Jesus. And because Israel has rejected Jesus, what does God do? He overflows out of his promise and his covenant with his people unto the Gentiles, you and me. And you begin to see this cosmic story that God has been preparing from the beginning. That he has always had a plan for you and I to come back onto him. And this is what he's doing. Now, we need to look at Esau real quick before we move on to Jacob. Because here's the deal. Jacob is only who he is. Because Esau rejected and for forfeited his birthright. This is massively important because it speaks to being saved by grace. It speaks to the fact that you and I have an unmerited blood upon our lives that we couldn't earn, that we couldn't achieve, that we could never strive for, that we could never be good enough for, but God made it happen. And so what happens here is Esau, Esau's tired one day, and this is literally the, the, the chapters right before, the first two, these two chapters right before this, this is the story playing out, so you can look at it yourself, and we see Esau, and Esau's tired, he's in the field, he's been working, he's been doing his things, and what we begin to see is he comes home and he comes home and he's tired and he's ragged and he's frustrated and he's annoyed and he's clearly overworked and underslept and undereaten and he's in this place where he has mismanaged his life and ill-stewarded his interior life. He has mismanaged his life and he has ill-stewarded his internal life. So much so that he's down in this place where he comes in back home and I don't even think Jacob was necessarily serious. I think he was just being a brother who ribs, which I love. But Esau was in such a worn down, bent up, out of shape place, outside and inside, that he was willing to fall for even a dumb jester and at worst a terrible, terrible trickery and what ends up happening is Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for literally the worst thing I could think of on this planet. A bowl of red lentil stew. And thus, veganism was born. Sorry, God. I'm trying to raise him up right, you know. I'm just kidding. Eat your lentils. But this happens. This happens. And so literally Esau is in a rage, but, but, but Abraham and Isaac and through the lines because of who God is, God says, I will honor the call. I will honor the gifts. The gifts and call on your life are irrevocable. God has always honored the birthright. He said the birthright passed from Esau now into the younger brother Jacob. And God says, I still honor that. Just because you mismanage your life and ill-stewarded your internal and insides doesn't mean that I don't have to honor 
my covenant and my birthright. And so Esau's furious, right? Esau's furious and he wants to kill Jacob and it's a whole situation. We all know how family gets sometimes. It's crazy. And so, uh, so Isaac goes to him and says, hey, listen, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to send you. You've got to get out of here. You've got to get out of here. Until Esau calms down, Jacob, you need to go. And where he tells Jacob to go, he says, go again to the land's promise to your grandfather Abraham. Return again to that which has been promised and prophesied over our family. Jacob, don't go where you prefer. Because he was looking at some Canaanite women and he was like, hey, I'm gonna go over there. And he goes, no, 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 no. The wife you will take and the land you will flourish in is that which was promised to your grandfather, Abraham. See, again, friends, this isn't about personal preference. This is about prophetic mandates. We don't get to choose our own adventure with Christ. We don't get to choose our own adventure with church. We don't get to pick and choose. We have to be the church. We have to be how he designed it, how he spoke it. We have to live according to God's will and let ours burn in the glory. Appreciate anybody this morning? And so what happens, my girl, so this is what ends up happening here. Did you come from Bay City, by the way? Amazing, amazing, amazing. Lord, send more people from Bay City. I like them. Yes, Morgan. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And so we see this moment. He goes and he says he's leaving and he's on his way. And he's not necessarily going to settle in Haran, but he's on his way to Haran. And what we see in this moment is he, he arrives on his way to Haran. And Haran means crossroad or, um, yeah, crossroad or tired or, or somewhere along there. Like, no, parched and crossroad. Crossroad and parched. It's a word that's used for both those. If you're feeling parched, you're Haran. If you're at a crossroads in life, you're at a Haran. It's a whole thing. Anyways, so he's on his way to Haran. And he arrives there and it's in the middle of the night and it says it gets cold and he gets tired. And all of a sudden, Jacob again does something prophetically that God has again been setting up from the beginning. He says, and it's so explicit in its language, he takes a stone from that place to lay under his head for rest. He takes a stone from that place to lay his head to rest. That means he didn't bring his own stone. That means he was following the instructions set out before him. He went where he was called to go. And in that place he was called to go was supplied for him a specific stone at a specific place for a specific intent and purpose. And that was rest. We got to pause right here because this is absolutely incredible. In this moment, we see him go to sleep and all of a sudden, amazing things start happening. Some of the most supernatural things we witness in all of the scriptures take place in this moment at this place of rest on this stone. Now we got to pause right there because in just a moment, we're going to talk about Jacob's ladder. And it's going to be amazing. But before we get to that place, you and I have got to understand this stone Again, we're going to reference Jesus. What did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Messiah. You're the one with the living words. That's right, Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And then Peter would later follow this up while he's leading his own church. And he says, listen, friends. Christ is the head, and you and I as his body, we are called to grow up into our salvation unto the head, Christ. And Jesus is also, again, quoted as saying, listen, boys, 
foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. And what we begin to see prophetically through the scriptures, friends, is this. From Genesis to Revelation, God has been building a place for himself to rest. See, in Genesis, he says on the seventh day, he rested, not from creation, he rested in his creation. This is a massive difference because if you understand that he's looking to establish a place for himself to rest, not just in his creation, but dwell amongst his people, it changes the whole game. Changes the whole game. You and I, we begin to look at this entire thing from the beginning of creation to now. All of a sudden, we begin to see that he has been laying stones. He's been preparing a place and that, in fact, it can't be the church. is about you and I getting our rest first, but church has to be first and foremost about God having a place to rest. That if God's chief concern from creation to revelation, so much so that he burns the whole bad Jackson down. He rebuilds heaven and earth unto himself to then have a place, a permanent place of rest and dwelling amongst his people. God's highest and chief concern in the earth and for his church and for his people, friends, is that he would have a place to rest and he would dwell amongst his people. And we see that played out in this moment as Jacob prophetically takes the stone. The same stone, listen to me, because we're going to see in a moment how important this place is. The same stone that literally we see the words, house of God established and spoken for the first time in all of scripture. That means God having a place of rest has got to be of the utmost importance to the church. That means that church cannot be about you and me having a place to rest first and foremost or a place where you and I come to get our answers and our questions and we come and we have these things. No, no, no. It is first and foremost a place where he longs to dwell and rest amongst his people and then friends and then you and I, we are welcomed into that place of rest. Then you and I, we are welcome to come and dwell with him. See, friends, we have got to follow the prophetic order here that we see all throughout Scripture. He has been writing a divine story this entire time. And then we begin to get a prophetic picture, so to speak, of what the church is supposed to look like. You see, because in this moment, all of a sudden, Jacob, he goes into this dream, and all of a sudden, from the stone that his head is on, to the heavens the heavens are ripped open and there is a ladder in this moment where angels are ascending and descending ascending and descending ascending and descending and then we pair that with the words of jesus where he says upon this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell will what not prevail against it and so what do we see in two instances where he is talking about establishing a place for him to rest and dwell amongst his people that the supernatural activity of God always comes. Could it be, friends, the reason so many churches today do not see the supernatural power of God break out in their services is because God is, in fact, not resting there? Because what I see in this moment is that where God rests, the devil relents. 
Where God rests, the devil relents. Where God rests, the devil relents. He says the gates of hell will not prevail and there will be angels ascending and descending. That means that when we have a church in order, when we have a church by God's design, by his creation, by how he longs for you and I to operate as a people, that what you and I receive is healing, deliverance, fruit of the spirit, gifts of the spirit, all of hell has to leave and all of heaven gets welcomed in and we suddenly find ourselves in that moment where the thin place is revealed, where God comes low and we get exalted up in the glory and what has to flee is all of hell. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like church to me. I don't know about you, but that sounds like what I want to be a part of. I don't know about you, but that's something I can give my life for. Where I can come and I can dwell amongst him. Where I can enter into his rest and I can bask in his glory. And I can look at him and all that is evil in me runs at the sight of him. And all that he's reforming me into being comes closer and closer and gets smaller and smaller. And suddenly you and I, we are rebirthed anew in his image and likeness. And we live in such a way, friends, that we experience the supernatural ministry of God daily. Are you following me? You see, God's heart for the church isn't that it wouldn't be a dry place where devils run the church and God never shows up. I mean, how terrible would it be to be a church, you and I, where you and I, sure, we get our rest, but God never comes and devils never flee. How terrible. What about his rest? What about his comfort? What about his delight? What about pleases him? So often we come to church and we need an instant gratification and we need immediate comfort. And I'm going, what instantly gratifies him? What gives God immediate comfort? What does he long for? Because when we have things in order, suddenly he can move. Suddenly you and I, we live in a place where we're no longer obsessed with the corporate ladder. We're obsessed with Jacob's ladder. Yeah. I appreciate anybody this morning. See, we live in a place at a time right now where everything is based upon you and me. And if I can be just a little bit honest this morning, Pastor Matt, you've been a lot of honest. Praise God. I'm grateful for honest men of the cloth. Right? We haven't had enough of them. Um, if I can be a little bit honest this morning, some of us, the reason we have not experienced this church isn't because the pastors don't want it isn't because we're not praying and fasting and asking for it. The reason some of us have not come in and experienced this is because friends, quite honestly, what I just said, some of us, we are better worshipers of the corporate ladder than we are worshipers of Jacob's ladder. I am telling you, some of us, we live in a time and a place, friends, where we are so excited about the promotion we're about to receive at work that we show up on time, we look the part, we say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, respect the balance, honor is given, and we show up and we work hard and we give and we do all of this so that we can obtain some earthly understanding of achievement and promotion and we get some monetary value added back onto us and then we show up to church late, we don't come as intended, we don't honor we gossip we lie and all of a sudden 
We don't have Jacob's ladder because some of us, we have honored the corporate ladder far greater than this prophetic ladder. Friends, could you imagine? Could you imagine the price that was paid for us and then we honor men who give us far less greater than we honor God who gave us everything? And by everything, I mean him. I mean him. I mean him. He gave us a way back to him. The thing that completes us, that blesses us, that changes us, that rids us of our sin and shame that heals our bodies, that casts out demons, that makes us look like Jesus, which we could never obtain for ourselves. He gave us him. And I treat his plan and his house and his ways and his ladder like it means less to me than my own. Friends, the greatest promotion you will achieve this side of heaven is not found in your workplace. It is found when heaven invades this space. The greatest promotion you will receive this side of heaven is not in your workplace. It is found when heaven invades this space. And some of us, we pull the Jesus juke. It's like, well, pastor, if I work harder, I can tithe more. Bro, you don't tithe anyways, okay? Like, stop. Quit playing games with God. Just get honest. Change. Please be like Jesus. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? And so we see this moment in Jesus both. He speaks of this rock of which he will build his church. And Jacob, he sees this moment with what the church should look like. The church should be this thin place. This church should be this place where healing comes easy, where deliverance isn't even a question. The demons flee at the mention of his name. That all of a sudden we see screws come out of knees. We see backs be realigned. We see marriages raised from the death of adultery and into new life in Christ Jesus. We see the homosexual become saved and live unto Jesus and consecrate their flesh and walk in the way and honor the Lord. We see life change happen. So why don't we see this? It's because the church has been about you and me. And we have dressed her to look like you and me instead of dress her the way God says to dress her. Amen? This is the reality. And I know we went zero to 100 today, but we're going to keep going until Jesus is good and pleased with this offering. It's who we are. To love him, to give to him is the highest priority of our lives and honestly friends the greatest privilege you and I have and I don't just say that because I'm a pastor I could be, I could quit today and I would still want to honor him with all of my life the privilege isn't in the pulpit the privilege is in the sonship the privilege isn't on the platform the privilege is in the sonship the daughtership the being reborn some of us, we just need to get reborn. And so Jacob, he's, he's seeing all this, he's experiencing all this, and it's amazing. And we see that he is in this dream, and the Lord is showing him all that it could be, and it's incredible. And he starts to see, he's like, listen, 
this is what I'm going to do in your life. This is the land that I have for you. This is what I have for your life. And not only that, though, it is going to spill over from your life. And suddenly you are going to have generations come from you that are the number of dust and sand in the earth. And it will be as far as the east is from the west and the north is from the south. And this will be blessed. This will be blessed. And then he says, I will keep you. I will never leave you. I will come back for you and I will bring you back to this place always. And we love to preach that scripture in the church today. We love talking about he'll never leave us, never forsake us. He'll always bring us back. We love this scripture. But contextually speaking, the answered promises of God are on the backside of obedience to the invitation of God. See, context is king. We have raised people who are passionately in love with Jesus, but have no understanding of what he's like. He loves your zeal, but he says it's the zeal for my house that has consumed me. You see, we, we get really excited for Jesus when our favorite song comes on. But Jesus isn't always found in our favorite song. Jesus isn't always found in the fire. He's not always found in the wind. He's not always found in the earthquake. He is found where Jesus is found, and he tells us how to find him. I appreciate anybody this morning. You see, so we have all these multi-generational blessings. We have all this amazing multiplication. God has great plans for this, but it's all off the backside of your obedience to the prophetic invitation to live how he says to live, to worship how he says to worship, to do church how he says to do church, to die how he says to die, how to go out and go into all the world the way he says to go out into all the world. This is the prophetic mandate of the church. We live as he says he lives and he will bless how he says he'll bless. Appreciate anybody this morning. See, so often we want to skip the first part. <gasps> Did the contract really say yes? <gasps> Are you sure even in this instance? Yes. <laughs> but I want to have a little sex before I'm married. Doesn't matter. You want your marriage to be marked by <laughs> tragedy and disobedience and a whole lot of distress and confusion? Live how God says to live before you get married and you won't have a lot of things to unpack at the altar the rest of your life. And I love the people who have, you know what? You've done it. You're married now. You're making things holy. You're making things right. I'm telling you, the altar is the best place for your baggage because he will set it aflame for the glory of God and it will be like a fragrant incense to him because he loves your sacrifice. He loves your obedience and he wants to come and move close on you in those moments. Amen. It's who he is. So we're moving along. And so in this moment, all of a sudden he wakes up. He wakes up and he goes, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. And I didn't even know it. Surely the Lord is in this place. Upon this rock, in this place. He's here. And I didn't even know it. He says, this place is awesome he said today we live in a place where words don't really mean a whole lot you can just say whatever you want and definition doesn't matter like man or woman <laughs> all of a sudden we're in this place where basic biology no longer matters it's strange awesome doesn't mean like 
<laughs> yeah, dude, awesome. Hey, <laughs> let's go, bro. That's not awesome. Awesome literally means I am awestruck. I am dumbfound. I do not have words for this moment. This is awe inspiring. This is awesome. He is awe. I am in awe of him. Ah, I don't know what else to say, but ah, that's what it means. And so he wakes up to this place where God is at and he goes, I'm in awe. I'm in shock. I have no words. I can't form a thought except he's here. He's here and I didn't even know it. And some of us, friends, we live lives. We come to church. We serve here. We do the Christian things and we live just like Jacob asleep. And one day we wake up and go, I didn't even realize he was here. I just been coming and I just been doing and I haven't really been expecting you see, Jacob didn't expect God to show up. So Jacob was surprised when he did. Could it be said today, friends, that for you and me, our expectations are too low? Because I, I seem to recall that when God shows up in a room, men and women get flat on their face before him. And yet I don't know a whole lot of churches today where men and women get flat on their face before him. Could it be he's simply absent in those churches and that they're hollow whitewashed tombs? Absolutely. But I know good men and women of God who love him, who have fasted and prayed for great things, but their congregation have not joined them in their pursuit and their crusade to see the glory fall in their midst. And because they have resisted, God has not come. Because this thing can't be built on priests alone. Can't be built off the backs of psalmists and Levites alone. Friends, there's a greater glory on the other side of this message today, on the other side of the sermon this hour, on the other side of this morning. There is a greater glory that will come in this room if you and I just decide we're going to live in expectation. We're going to live and we're going to honor when he's here. You know what I think sometimes stifles the work of the Spirit in this house? Some of us don't honor when he shows up. Some of us just keep saying, Jesus, come, Jesus, come, Lord, move in this place, Lord, in this move in this place. And in fact, look around, there's one or two people getting worked on in the Spirit, and he's like, I'm here. How about you just honor that I'm here and I'll move towards you? I think the church needs to get really good at, re at realizing and acknowledging when the Lord walks in the room. We need to start proclaiming, like we need to lose our minds and all of a sudden be like, he's here! He's here and we need to announce and sound the alarms to our neighbors, to our left and to our right in this room. He's here! He's here! Because all of a sudden my expectation was met. You didn't know enough to have expectations, but we're all going mad saying he's here. And then all of a sudden you're going, heal my arm, heal my marriage, cast out my demons, heal my sexuality. Lord, save me. And he does all of it. I appreciate anybody this morning. I know I'm losing my mind, but friends, I need you to see this. And worship team, you can make your way back up here. Here's the deal. You and I, we've got to begin to understand the church has been God's plan this entire time. He has longed to establish for himself a resting place, a place for him to rest amongst his creation and dwell amongst his people. And in that, friends, 
the most insane, outlandish, no right to ask for, but by the sovereign grace of God, amazing things begin to happen in the room, begin to happen in the space. So much so that all of a sudden he's going through this and he's hearing from God and he says this, surely this is the house of God. It was a stone. <laughs> it was a stone in the land of which he was called to and promised. Could it be this concrete below our feet this morning is that very stone? Could it be for you and I that this is the house of God and all of a sudden we need to realize if in fact this is the house of God, if in fact he comes and he rests here and if in fact he comes and dwells here, that means all of hell has to relent here and that means all of heaven has to break loose here and that means you and I have the right to pierce the veil here. And could it be, friends, that we could be a house of fire and that we could be the gate of heaven. I love that he differentiates the two and it's actually super necessary. Somebody say super necessary. It's actually super necessary because there's the house of God and then there's the gate of heaven but it's actually the house of God that opens the gates of heaven. Well, Pastor Matt, that doesn't make any sense. Make that make sense to me. Listen, listen, listen. What God does in his house is intended to spill out in his streets. He says that I will give you the land by which the stone is from. What does that mean? That means where my church is planted, I will give you the land. What does that mean? 15 acres? What does that mean? A few hundred acres? No, no, no. In these times, he didn't mean cubits, feet, metrics, acres. He meant villages, towns, cities, states, regions, and countries. Amen? But it's got to be his house. It can't be Matt's vanity project. It can't be your vanity project. If God doesn't build the house, the labor's what? Labor in vain. This cannot be our vanity project. This has to be his holy house. Because his holy house is what opens the gates of heaven. And then watch what happens. Would you stand? Watch what happens. It says that he was in a place called Luz which is a terrible name. It's a place called Luz. And it says that he flipped up the stone. He made it a pillar for the house of God. He anointed it with oil. He consecrated it. He set it apart. He blessed it. He positioned it and set it rightly before God to use mightily by God. And God took his house in a place called Luz. And Luz means this. Are you ready? Luz means the place of bones. So God establishes him for himself a home, a resting place, and an entrance of heaven in a place of bones. But he don't leave it a place of bones. Because what spilled out of Jacob's ladder, what spilled out of Jacob's stone, what spills out of Christ the stone, what spills out of his church, friends, 
shifts an entire city and he takes the city of Luz and he gives it to Jacob and his people and he renames it Bethel. And what does Bethel mean? House of God. What does it look like when Wyoming quits being Wyoming and Wyoming becomes a house of God? What does it look like when Granville quits being Granville because the church is exploding and becomes the house of God? What does it look like when Grand Rapids proper, Grand Rapids metro area, from Cedar Springs and Sparta all the way to Door? What does it look like in all of a sudden? It's not just you and I's names that are changed, but it's our cities, our towns, our villages, our region, our state, and our nation. That all of a sudden God says, I'm taking this for myself. What is happening in my house has opened up the heavens, has spilled into the streets, and this place can no longer be a place of bones. It has to be a house of God. Praise Him. I didn't intend on this being Vision Sunday, but it dang sure turned into one. Listen. We're going to sing a song called Come Rest On Us. It's an invitation from the desperate, from the hungry, and from the thirsty for God to come and move upon us like he did at Pentecost, like he did on the, on the boy with Elijah, and like he did in the garden when he first blew his spirit into Adam. We're going to ask God for that in this moment, but what I want to do is this. God can only blow into that which is emptied of itself. Hear me. Adam was dead. He was just shaped by God. Empty. Had to be filled with the Spirit of God. The young boy that Elijah blew on was dead. Emptied. Filled with the Spirit of God. The church was birthed in the upper room at Pentecost. They were dead men being reconciled, being saved, being ushered in by the Spirit of God. So this morning, whatever is dead in you, I want to leave it here so that He can come and blow upon us once again. And here's what I want to do. I got three things of repentance. I want you to repent for seeing God wrongly. I want you to repent of seeing his church wrongly. And I want you to repent of seeing your place in his story wrongly. And then in those same three places, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to come and blow into those areas and give you revelation of all three, of who he is, of what his church is made to be, and what your place in all of it is. Pastor Matt, are you serious? I want you to literally do that. That's not a suggestion. That's a prophetic mandate. That's not, we're going to have worship time. No, no, no. I want you to repent of these three areas, even if you feel like you've got a good handle on some of them. Repent of what you need to and offer. Lord, I am a willing vessel for a fresh revelation that will change me and hopefully by proxy of changing me, change an entire city into Bethel. Yes, Lord. So they're going to start playing the altar is open. I want to encourage you, spread out, go around, pray over somebody, but don't wait for me to be done. You start moving. We're going to be a church that looks a lot more like the church Jesus intended when the preaching is happening, but the saints are getting slain up front. We're going to start moving. 
So I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna invite you into this moment, but don't wait for my prayer to be done. You start moving, you start welcoming in, the band is gonna start singing, and we're gonna start repenting and asking for revelation and infilling today. Father, we love you. Father, right now I ask God, I ask Lord, give us a revelation of who you are. Give us a revelation of who you are, God, I'm sorry. I am sorry, God, that I have seen you wrongly. And as I've seen you wrongly, I've worshipped you wrongly. And as I've worshipped you wrongly, I've lived wrongly. I've seen myself wrongly, God. You are so much more beautiful than I ever gave consideration to. And AV team, don't feel like you got to stay back there. You come get some altar time if you need to. You pray over somebody if you need to. We don't need all the cosmetics today. We don't need the cosmetics. We need the cosmic one. We need the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we repent. We repent forever seeing you wrongly, God. Right now, we say we're sorry. We're sorry that we had a lesser view of you than is true of you, God. Lord, we repent for seeing you as self-absorbed rather than being all-consuming. We repent for thinking you are full of yourself when truly we've been full of ourselves. We repent, God. We repent for thinking you existed for us and not that we exist for you. We repent that we thought the church exists for us, but truly the church exists for you. God, we repent for our preferences. We repent for our ideas. We repent for ideals and notions of the fallen nature, God. Father, we repent for thinking worship should be shorter. We repent for thinking that messages should be longer. We repent for thinking that the pulpit and the ministry is the main event when in true, in fact, you are the main event. You are why we're here. Father, we love your voice. We love your tongue. We love your hands and we love your feet. But most of all, we love you. Father, I prophetically repent on behalf of this entire church. Father, that we thought it was enough to gather and not enough to assemble. Father, right now we prophetically declare, we agree with heaven, you can gather a great number of parts. That does not mean it's assembled. That does not mean that it is in unity. That does not mean that it is one body, one mind, one spirit, and one heart. That means there's a lot of parts gathered in one place, but they have not been put together and assembled, God. We are, we say, we are the assemblies of God. We are the assembled of God. Father, we will be hands and feet. We will not be disconnected, but we will be one body. We repent forever thinking it was enough to gather, but not enough to assemble. Right now, right now, Holy Spirit, come blow on all of this, God. Give us a revelation of what it looks like to be the church assembled. What does it look like to be a body assembled? What does it look like to not just gather on a Sunday, but be the assembled church throughout the week, God? Father, I see you, I see you showing people rightly sexuality. I see men beginning to see you right and therefore their view of sex gets right. Right now, pornography is breaking off the broken minds in this room. Pornography, you have to go. Spirit of erotica and fornication, you cannot stay. Flesh, we say we crucify you. We will fast you and we will outlast you because we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Spirit of lust, go. 
spirit of lies go spirit of deceit go spirit of manipulation and gossip go spirit of division go father right now listen let me be real honest this moment is not for the people who are frequently at the altar this moment is for those of us that know there are things so off on the inside of us yet we remain organized and single filed in our chairs I am telling you right now men you should be bringing your wives down to the altar and leading them to the feet of Jesus single men and single women you should be leading yourself to the feet of Jesus every single one of us myself included I see and you see God wrongly I worship him wrongly and you worship him wrongly I see myself wrongly and you see yourself wrongly we need a greater revelation even still so I am telling you and I am encouraging you and I am straight up challenging some of you move up come to the front if there is not space you find space you get low and in this moment we ask the Holy Spirit to blow and we say God we are kindled we are set we are yours right there yes come 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 pastor this isn't my thing I don't care it's his thing we're establishing a church that is no longer about our thing it's his thing he loves when his people get low before him he loves when we sing he loves when we're undignified he loves when we're on our knees oh what a fragrant sacrifice scabbed up and bruised knees from the concrete of weeping before him in his presence would be to the king Father, right now, as we begin to sing, as we repent, God, I say, we acknowledge that you're here. Holy Spirit, you're here. He's here, and he's moving, and he's acting, and he's changing, and he's building, and he's rekindling, and he's stirring up an old flame in an old church at a new time. As this, he's saying to you and to me, there is fresh oil, there is new wine, there's an old fire that still burns in the depths of God, and it is here for you and me. So Holy Spirit, you're welcome to do whatever it is you want to do, come and blow in in this room we repent we adore and we ask for even more in Jesus mighty name amen come Jesus